0: Welcome to the MercyCast, where we are learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I am your host, Raleigh Sadler, and over the past 10 years, I've started a nonprofit that helps people better care for their most vulnerable neighbors, and along the way, I've met a lot of friends who are on a similar journey, each of us learning new things about ourselves and each other with the more adversity we face. You know, life can be a roller coaster. Everything is good until it's not. You may be passed up for a promotion, go through a nasty breakup, or have to plan the funerals of those closest to you. Things fall apart. How do we hold on and keep the faith during the times that try our souls? Fourteen years into his career in law enforcement, Chris felt called in a different direction. He had a desire to help at-risk teens and their families. With a mortgage, a wife, and six kids, he followed God's leading and stepped out in faith little did he know at the time that he would leave a secure job with great benefits for an uncertain income with no benefits and let's just say it didn't exactly look like his faith was being rewarded with blessing after 2 years he had no income and he had to leave the dream so he entered into business management this fresh start with Wells Fargo Mortgage as a branch manager felt like a blessing Then the mortgage market collapsed. Now he was without a job in the midst of a recession. Chris struggled with the predicament in which he found himself. Why would God give him a second chance at a career only to take it away? Today I'm speaking with Chris Lim, an author as well as the coordinator of the State of Alabama's Human Trafficking Task Force. Chris, I've really been looking forward to this conversation.
1: Hey, Raleigh, good to be here. So,
0: There's a lot going on in the story. You have the career that you love, then you feel a leading to go somewhere else. So you're just assuming, yes, it's going to work. I have this passion. God's going to reward it immediately. But then you hit challenge after challenge after challenge. And this doesn't just go for like five minutes or even five weeks, but this goes for two years. I think the statute on the limitations of the poem footprints isn't even that long. And here you are struggling because you're like, well, God, where are you? You told me to do this, and now it's not working, and I don't know what to do. And so, Chris, how did you shift from this place of anger to resting in what God has for you? Yeah, Raleigh, and even on
1: top of that, the entire period was actually even more than two years. It was was probably close to about five years. Where we were just struggling financially, obviously, when you're struggling financially, your relationships can become a shambles and professionally and all of that. And like you said, I was at a point where I still trusted God, but I wasn't sure that he was good or that he had my good in mind. The whole kind of prayer of like, God, I trust you, but I don't want to be Joe, right? and so what i tried to do was just kind of like what we read about job that he held he held fast to his integrity and i just even though i did not feel like going to church and i did not feel like praying or reading my bible i i disciplined myself to do that um even when i didn't feel like it kind of clinging to the promise that god made when uh Cain killed his brother, right? And his countenance had fallen. And God comes to him and says, why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, won't your countenance be lifted up? And so I clung to that. And to me, what that said, Raleigh, was that if I just continue to do the things I know God wants me to do, these basic things, stay accountable to my pastor at church. Try to pray, try to read my Bible, even when I don't feel like it. That if I continue to do these things, that my countenance would be lifted up and and I would be able to see the goodness of God. And so that's what I did.
0: You know, it's fascinating you say that because even outside of Christian circles, you have books on habits and how to build habits and how to change your identity. A book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he basically presents the argument that you become what you do. So if you want to be a writer, then write a paragraph every night. If you want to be a runner, run a couple of blocks and then keep adding to that, but just always have your bare minimum. I'm going to run a couple of blocks every day. I'm never going to miss a day. And then it becomes a habit. And then it's becoming part of your identity. You are no longer someone who runs every now and then. You are a runner. You are a writer. When you do this consistently, that happens, and we see that in Scripture. When you talk about holding fast to your integrity, what comes to mind? What came to mind in that moment when you're like, okay, I see Job holding fast to his integrity. What does that look like for Chris Lim?
1: You know, it, it's interesting because in Job, when, when he talks about that and what, what, they, what the people say about him, right? all of his counselors and all of that, they talk about how he, he was engaged in righteousness and justice in his community. But for me it was it actually wasn't external. It was really just internal and just trying to not screw up, you know, I mean not throw my life away because I felt like it was going down the drain, you know, and trying to be the best father I could be, trying to be um the best husband that I could be, trying to be the best employee that I could be at those times I had the job. So really just doing the basics and I didn't have the ability to kind of go beyond the basics, but just doing the basics to not, um, to not put myself in a situation that I would be regretting, you know, five years down the road, 10 years down the road.
0: It's interesting. So many times our circumstances can change us, but you're showing us just in your own story that just because our circumstances change doesn't mean that we have to change. Doesn't mean that we have to completely just let go and fall apart. We can continue doing what we're doing, even if we can't do it in the same context. Context. Would you agree with that?
1: That's a great insight, Raleigh. I, yeah. And, you know, as as my life story goes on, the reality is is that it's not me, it's Christ in me, you know? And I, I sometimes wonder, and I think that, was it... I might be mixing up my Old Testament stories, but was it Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they said that, hey, we're, you know, that God is going to save us, throwing him into the fiery furnace and all of that. They're like, hey, God is going to save us. But even if he does not, we're still going to be faithful to God. I might be mixing up my stories a little bit, but I know that they sent it in there somewhere. And it was that, realizing that it's actually not it's not me because I don't have that kind of control over myself or my circumstances, but realizing that it's God who's in control and it, and I wasn't there yet, really when at this period of my life that we were talking through, it was dark man, and I, I was just thinking, I just need to not do anything to make these, this thing worse. Um, and, um, and I can't give myself the credit that you just gave me of thinking, oh, gee, you know, I just, my like, circumstances will change, but I remain the same. But thankfully, God allowed me to do that. God gave me the strength to get through that. And ultimately, I did see that you're exactly right, that that our circumstances change, but God doesn't, and therefore, we shouldn't.
0: Well, it's interesting, because when we look at the pages of Scripture, it's very easy to see these characters of old testament narrative as heroes we look at their lives and we're like look at them i want to have the faith of that person i want to have the faith of abraham well do you do you really i want to have the faith of moses seriously like we look at that and we're like oh my gosh if we realize like it's like they're doing pretty good then they take a fall then they're doing pretty good again then they take a fall and then you have Abraham, he's pawning off his wife as his sister, not once, but twice, you know? And he's like, no, 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 she's my sister. <laughs> kind of, right. but, but don't kill me. And it's just like, these are these paragons of virtue and faith that we look to and they're broken human beings. They are sinners like you and me. And I think so often that we look at things moment by moment when we should be looking at trajectory. We look at our immediate failures and we think, man, am I even a Christian? Do I even have faith? I'm struggling.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In Mark 9, we, we see this dad with his son who was demon-possessed for years. <clears throat> and he goes to the disciples and to to get this spirit, you know, cast out of him, and the disciples couldn't. And so, Jesus kind of Saunders onto the scene and his disciples are like, Hey, we couldn't do this. And the dad comes up to him and says, yeah, I brought my son here. The, the, these demons are, you know, throwing him into the fire and doing this and that and trying to, trying to kill him. And, and your disciples couldn't do anything. And he's, and he says, you know, Jesus, if, if you could do anything, please do. And Jesus kind of stops him, And it's interesting because Jesus's response was, if I can. And, and at that point, Reading that story, and at that point, I realized that, again, it's, it's not whether or not God can do things and whether or not God is sovereign. It's, where's our faith? <clears throat> Excuse me. And the the point is, is that it, it's about, you know, it's all about God who gives us the strength. So what does the dad say? The dad says, I, I think what I felt for years, it's just like he said, Lord. I believe, but help my unbelief, <laughs> you know, and that's,
0: that's where I found myself at for a number of years. I believe, but help my unbelief. That is so good. And that's somewhere that I really connect because I wasn't sure of what we were actually going to talk about today on this podcast. And as you started talking, I started thinking, I had a very similar experience. I wrote a book called Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. I remember doing a book release. I had 70 friends there. It was a special intimate night. It was amazing. We talked about how God motivates vulnerable people like you and me to love other vulnerable people by becoming vulnerable for us. And for me, it was like I was on cloud nine. Then the next day, I get on a plane. I'm going to Chicago to promote the book. And as I am on the plane, I'm reading the book of Job. And I remember thinking, man, this was rough. And would I respond in the same way Job did? And as soon as the plane landed, I take my phone off airplane mode. And then I am hit with a barrage of text messages from my new roommate. He'd been living there for 24 hours on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And he was saying, Raleigh, our apartment's on fire. and I I didn't really connect it, you know, and I was like, well, welcome to New York. But I didn't really understand that no, no, no. Our apartment building is on fire and for the next 3 months you're going to be functionally homeless. You're going to be couch surfing. You're going to lose most of your possessions due to smoke damage. You know, and, and shortly after that everything just kept changing. I would later move yeah. to Chicago And my life would get harder and harder and harder. And I just remember thinking, man, I wrote this book and then my life just struggled. And it wasn't just one of those things where it was like a hard six months, a hard year. You know, this happened in 2019. And I am at this point starting to come out of it. But it was just a really tough season. And I can understand where... When you say, you know, it is hard to have faith. It is hard to know what to do other than what we know what we're supposed to do based on Scripture. And it's hard to feel when you're just angry. It's hard to feel anything but angry. But knowing that it's not about us holding on to God, but God holding on to us, and that He will bring, I mean, this may sound trite, but I I think it is a beautiful phrase that God does bring beauty out of ashes. He wastes nothing that we experience. And I'm finding at this point in my life, I'm able to talk to people because I've learned compassion through what I went through. When I'm not as prideful. I'm, I have been shaped and challenged and sifted in certain ways. And that changes the way I approach everything now. And would you say that the same thing has happened to you now that you are working in the anti-trafficking space of God gave you this desire, but in your estimation, it felt like he pressed pause for a little bit, but he was shaping you into being the person that you need to be for this job. What has that experience been like?
1: Yeah. So <clears throat> I guess to pick up where, where you stopped off at, at the introduction, and, um, <clears throat> you know, I was in the, in the midst of, of this dark season in life And I ended up getting a position with a small nonprofit that helped minors who were victims of sex trafficking kind of in the greater Los Angeles area. And it was interesting because it wasn't necessarily like in their job description or their job posting. But when I talked with them to see kind of what they're looking for, they they wanted a male. And part of that Raleigh, you and I both know that being a male in the anti human trafficking work is, at least back then, was pretty unique. You know, there wasn't a lot of us in in this work. And so they wanted a male just to kind of, you know, add some some of that diversity and balance out some of what was going on. And then, but they also wanted somebody that had a father's heart. They didn't want to put the fox in the hen house, so to speak. And so they wanted somebody with a father's heart. And at that time, I had six kids that were growing and all of that. And I definitely checked that box. And then professionally, ideally, they wanted somebody that understood law enforcement because we were working on a a federal grant that required partnership with the NGOs, the nonprofit organizations that were providing the services and local law enforcement, state law enforcement, federal law enforcement. So they wanted somebody that kind of understood that world, but also that understood business. Uh, because I would be running this organization. And I had done that at this time, like you mentioned at Wells Fargo, I had an MBA at this point and all of that. Um, and then somebody that understands the nonprofit world. And obviously I I knew that from having started one, which is what kind of made me leave law enforcement. And so it was at that time that, as i settled into this job i really realized i was able to look back and i was able to see wow god really is at work you know and god really is sovereign and um and i was i look at that time and i think of um ecclesiastes 3:11 that tells us that that we can't make straight the road that god had made crooked and I looked back on my life at that time and said, man, I had just in a matter of a few years, I've had significant job changes. I went broke. I I struggled to keep my family together and all of that. Um but all of those, each and every one of those things, like you just said that I forget how you just phrase it, Raleigh, but that that God leaves nothing like on the table or something. I forget you you said it beautifully, but yeah, I I saw a crooked and bent road and a life that was just in upheaval. But once I got in that role and saw what, what they needed, I realized that all of that was God preparing me to do this work.
0: And I think that's the beautiful piece. We want to stop before the story's over. We want to quit before we have our last call out onto the stage. and. You know, and I think that's when we learn the most is when we realize that we don't have it together and we are not perfect, but God is. And he is working something for our good. And it's only going to bring him more fame because on our own, we are going to struggle on our own. We're not going to be able to do this well. And so you are now leading anti-trafficking efforts in the state of Alabama. What advice would you give people who want to help vulnerable people, but they don't know where to start, or they're scared, or they're thinking that because they have issues that they are disqualified for serving people? What would you say to them?
1: Well, I think first, on, on that last comment that you made, in terms of the struggles that we all deal with and whether or not that disqualifies us. If you kind of flip that on its head and think of what Paul told the Church of Corinth, that you do go through these trials and that God uses those trials in your life and comforts you through those so that you would know how to comfort other people. <clears throat> really, these, yeah. these challenges that we, that we face in life, are it's, it's the school that God is putting us through to, to make us useful to him. So, so there's nothing that we could do or that we would go through that would disqualify us. Um, you know, I think what disqualifies somebody, obviously, is a heart that doesn't have integrity you know, and a heart that's not humble, one that's prideful and um, is in it for the wrong reasons. And then, and then just practically, somebody that wants to get into this work, you know, I always just say, what, you know, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What do you love doing? Because whatever those strengths are that you have, there's probably a way for you to engage in anti-human trafficking work using your strengths, and your passions, and your skills. So identify those, and then just and look for opportunities to use those to help the cause.
0: And I think that's so great because how many people have we talked to when they say, you know, I feel. I feel called to fight human trafficking and I want to rescue people and I want to kick down the doors of brothels and I want to save people. And every time I hear this, I just hear me, me, I, you know, I want to do this. Well, why do you want to do that? Do you want to feel love? Do you want to feel power? Do you want to feel like the hero, the knight in shining armor? But there's other ways to serve vulnerable populations. And I believe kind of like exactly what you're saying, that even at the moments where God felt most distant, he was at work. He was shaping you into who you would become so that you could do the job. And it's easy to say that. It's hard to believe that in the moment when the defecation is hitting the ventilation and you're sitting there thinking, God, how is this happening? Where are you at? Why on earth am I going through this? Am I, even, am I ever even going to get on to the other side. Like, what does this look like for me? It's hard to believe that in those moments. But what we experience, what we have learned, that has trained us. A friend of mine used to call this the seminary of suffering. You know, he's like, you went to seminary and that's great. But now you're about to go through the seminary of suffering where you really learn what you believe when, you know, they say there are no atheists and foxholes when you are in it. And everything's going sideways. What do you hold on to? And I don't know. I think about... We get an idea of global injustices like human trafficking. We think, well, well, I can't do anything because I'm not a lawyer or a, a doctor or a police officer. But maybe you're an accountant. Maybe you're a Sunday school teacher. Maybe you run a skate park. Maybe... <laughs> You could do a lot of things and engage people where they're at because you know what? People who are going through really difficult times may like to skateboard. They may, they may go be in your Sunday school class. I think being who we are and using the skills that we have, we can ultimately love vulnerable people and, and we don't have to learn a new set of skills or abilities. We, we have it. We can truly be us and then care for the people around us and start where we are. Yeah, I I think that in
1: a lot of ways what you just said, um, and the, the truth of that kind of encapsulates both your book and my book. You know what I mean? In in terms of just being um being that right person and being humble before God and wanting to serve other people. Um, you know, it's it's not about you. And that's that's not just being involved in anti-human trafficking work, that's involved in anything. You know, if if you're a dentist or um you know work at a grocery store or whatever um it's the same thing right you don't you're not it's not about you it's about working heartily as unto the lord and you know being humble in that um ensuring that he gets the glory when people see your good works right matthew uh five sixteen when uh uh let your light shine in such a way that when people see your good works they glorify your father in heaven and so it's It's about being that that humble person that wants to serve other people. And um, in doing that, pointing to the amazing God that we serve.
0: Someone once asked Martin Luther, he'd become a Christian, and he'd said, Well, I'm a cobbler, but now I'm a Christian.
1: What do I do? And the story
0: goes that Luther looked at him and says, Well, Make some great shoes for the glory of God, you know, make incredible shoes. Yeah. Sometimes we make it really, really hard, and especially when we're going through these tough times and we're not seeing how this is going to end up in a way that benefits us. We're only focused on the nosedives and we're not focused on the trajectory. And if we are following God, he will lead us home. It's a narrow way. You know, it's not a freeway. It's not Broadway. It's there's crooks, there's crags. It's it's tough. But for for our listeners who are sitting here and are thinking, you know, I'm going through a hard time right now and I don't see it. like I I hear you two talking about it and it sounds great. You sound like you're on the other side of it, which that's never completely true, but they're thinking, you know, sounds like you're on the other side of it. Great. But what about me? I'm struggling. What advice would you give them? If you wanted to give between one and three like pieces of advice, what would you say to those who are in a place where they just don't see the darkness lifting?
1: Well, I mean, it, it's probably different for everybody, but for me, I, I would just say the advice that I gave myself, or I didn't give it to myself, God, God brought some of these verses to my mind, but um, you know, that, the verse that I referred to back, um, I think I think it's um Genesis three, six, I, I wanna say. Could be totally wrong, but that's where where God confronts Cain and says, Hey, why why is your countenance fallen? Why are you in such you know, a funk? Um, if you do well, if, if you do those things that you know you should be doing, won't your countenance be lifted up? So that was one thing. And and, and that would be one piece of advice that I gave because that was God's piece of advice to the first murderer um, on earth is do the next right thing. You know, just keep doing those basic right things that you know you should be doing. Um, and then, probably, the second piece of advice is the advice that we already talked about in, in terms of the father in Mark 9, whose son was demon possessed and he have the realization that he does believe, that he does have faith, but there's that element that he doesn't, you know, believe and have faith, and he needs God to help him in that. And so just having that vulnerability, that humility, where you understand that, yeah, I I have faith, but God, I need you to help my lack of faith, you know, or, uh, you know, as it said in that text, I believe, but help my unbelief. And so I guess those would be two things that I would say is, you know, when you're in the midst of the dark times, one, do the next right thing. Do the next thing that that you know God wants you to do. And two, have that attitude, that realization that I have faith, I believe, but I still need God to help my unbelief. What
0: I love about that is, these are very tangible things. One being, okay, I don't know what to do. What's the next thing? But then, I believe, help my unbelief. That is such a prayer. It's a prayer I pray when, you know, I just don't know what to do. And, you know, it's it's interesting because throughout this whole conversation, this idea of holding fast to God has been coming up, but But there's something more at play. It's like there's sometimes where our grip slips that We can't hold on to God, but that's the beauty of it, that God is holding on to us. And he's teaching us how to love him and love others in the context of his own love for us. So when things look like nothing is happening that's positive, when we are stuck in self-doubt and self-hatred and fear, God is at work. We may not see it. At any given moment, he's doing a million things that are invisible to us. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so that's what I want to encourage our listeners with is hold on because God is holding on to you. Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolutely. My pleasure. And as always, this podcast is made possible by listeners like you. If you want bonus episodes as well as a plethora of other resources, become a paid member at lmpg.org. That's let my people go lmpg.org for $10 a month. You'll get access to our bonus podcast amongst other things. And also don't forget to smash that subscribe button and leave Mercycast a five star review. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.